0: Amelia Taylor was a preemie baby, born about 22 weeks. Um, she was one of the youngest preemies to to ever survive. She was born at just over nine inches, weighing about 10 ounces. And of course, to to try to to save this little baby girl, the, the doctors and nurses went into action. She went into the neonatal unit and and. You can read about how she was wrapped up in bubble wrap uh, to try to maintain her body temperature and then placed in the incubator. And this little girl, against all odds, survived. She survived. She lived. It's moving to, to hear the stories of, of these, uh, little, these little tiny babies who make it. Well, we know it was critical for little Amelia to survive that all the doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals were, were, were taking care of her. They, they were taking care of her and, and giving her every chance to live. Some of you this morning may feel like you're in the fight of your life. Maybe, maybe it's difficulties financially and it just seems like you're struggling constantly to, to make things work. You're juggling paying this and then that and, and you've got these financial challenges or maybe it's difficulty with kids. And you just can't seem to, to, to make things right. Or maybe it's a marriage. And on the outside, to people looking in, it looks fine. But in reality, it's anything but fine. And it hasn't been for a long time. Or maybe it's infertility or the heartbreak of miscarriage. The difficulty of, of, of health issues and health problems. Maybe it's taking care of and... Uh, an aging parent, where it just seems like the, the issues keep mounting and, and the difficulties increasing, whatever it is, there are many here today who feel like him, who feel like you 're in the fight of, of your life. The question is, on the toughest days, are you on your own? I, is it you, wh- whatever you can do, and, and that 's all there is? Does anyone care about you? Like those doctors and those nurses cared for that little preemie baby? Is, is anybody looking out for you? What if God was? What if he was giving his all for you? What if, what if he was caring about you with all his heart? Like those doctors and those nurses were taking care of that baby? Well, this morning we're going to see that if you belong to God, indeed he is caring for you. And in an even greater way will be in Ruth chapter 2. Last week we saw Naomi, and Naomi uh, was married to a man named Elimelech. They lived in Bethlehem, and a famine came, and so they had to move uh, from Bethlehem, and they moved to a to a foreign country, Moab. They took their two boys and lived in Moab, and and Elimelech died. So Naomi's left in a foreign country without family support with two boys. Eventually, the boys grow up and they marry. They're married somewhere around 10 years. And over the course of that time, there are no grandkids. They're childless. And then the worst happens. Not one, but both sons die. And this has been Naomi's experience up to this point. You see, last week, we looked at the fact that Naomi had faced the hard hand of God. And sometimes we don't understand what God brings into our lives and what He permits in our lives, and that's where Naomi was at. In fact, last week in chapter 1, we saw when someone called her Naomi, which means pleasant. She said, don't call me Naomi. You call me Mara, which means bitter. Her heart was struggling with all that had come upon her. But this morning, we're going to see that God's hand was at work in the life of of Naomi and and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. We're going to see that That God was caring for them tenderly behind the scenes. Let's look together in Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose side I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reaper's. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, the author of Ruth is giving us a little clue here in verse 1. He, he says, uh, there was a, a worthy man who was kin to, to Elimelech. That's Naomi's deceased husband. A worthy man. This is a man of respect and honor a man who had influence and, and more than likely wealth, and we'll see that he does because, because he owned uh, a good portion of land, had a lot of people working for him. So so the author kind of gives us a little hint uh, of what is ahead. And we see in verse 2 that Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, let me go and glean. Now, if you'll remember at the end of chapter 1, they got back into Bethlehem after God had allowed Food to be there again. In other words, he ended the famine and, and, and he allowed there to be food in, in Bethlehem. But they got back at the beginning of the, the barley harvest. And so here now, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, hey, to try to, to, try to put food on the table, let me go and glean in the, in the barley fields. Now, to glean was to go behind the harvesters and gather up anything that was left. This is a little bit like collecting aluminum cans today. You couldn't have made a good living at it, but you might have been able to, to, to put a little food on the table. And so Ruth says to her mother-in-law, let me do this. And, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, yeah, go, go, my daughter. Now, in verse 2, I want you to, to notice, and we're going to see this all throughout the chapter. We saw it in verse 1, that the author keeps pointing out to us that Ruth is a Moabite. So Ruth is not an Israelite. She's in Bethlehem among all of these Israelites, but, but she is not an Israelite. And all throughout the story, we're going to see this highlighted over and over again. So we've seen hints already that, that God's been at work. For one thing, Naomi from chapter 1 was able to go back to Bethlehem. Why? Because God had provided food. We, we see hints of God's goodness and kindness. And we get the idea here that something good is going to happen with this man named Boaz. Let's take a look in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Now, I want to go back into verse 3 for just a moment. Ruth goes out into the fields, and she begins to to glean, again, gathering up after the harvesters. And she happened to come, we see in verse 3, up on Boaz's field. Now, Ruth had no idea what was happening, but the author of Ruth wants those of us who are reading this book to recognize that Ruth didn't just happen to come to Boaz's field, The author wants us to recognize and see that God's at work. That God is providentially behind the scenes working for the good of Ruth and for the good of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so here we see in verse 4, And behold, or and surprise, Boaz came from Bethlehem out to his field. So, so you have the city of Bethlehem and then the surrounding fields in which uh, folks farmed. Boaz has left the city and he's come out to check on his workers. And it just so happens, it just so happens that Ruth has ended up at Boaz's field, the same place, at the very time that Boaz leaves Bethlehem to come and to check on his workers. Now how about that? Ruth just happens to be there when he happens to show up. Same place, same time. The author of Hebrews wants us to understand that God is at work that he's doing something good in the lives of these ladies who have suffered so very much. And so, Boaz walks up in verse 4 and he says to his workers, the Lord be with you. We get an, a sense that Boaz is a godly man. This is not the way all bosses speak to their employees, is it? Yeah, we, we get the sense that, that, that Boaz is a man who loves the Lord so much so that it overflows even in the way he talks to, to those who work for him. The, the Lord... Be with you. And then he pulls the foreman aside and he said, who's that woman over there? And the foreman said, well, she's the Moabite woman. Once again, I want us to see she's from another country. She's a different ethnicity, a different race. It's, she, she's not the, uh, a part of the Israelites. She's the one who came back with Naomi. Okay, well, this means that she wasn't anyone's wife. I wonder if something's going on in Boaz's mind at this point. She's, no, she, she's not married. She, she doesn't belong to anyone in the sense of, of being a servant of someone. And the foreman says to Boaz, she came to me and said, could, could I glean here? Is it all right if I do? Now, if you go back and look at the Old Testament law, Leviticus 23, for example, several other, several other passages, the way that provision was made for those who were in need in the Old Testament uh, often was that, that landowners wouldn't, uh, wouldn't harvest everything. They would leave a little bit around the edges and they would allow people to come in and glean behind the harvesters. That is, they would pick up what, what they missed. They would gather up what they missed. And the law required that of landowners. So that those who were poor could come and, and gather. And so, according to the law, Ruth didn't necessarily have to go and ask for permission. But it's important here to note that she did. She's a humble lady. She doesn't come with a mindset of, hey, you owe me this. Kind of the entitlement mindset that, that, that we all have to wrestle with in, in today's world. Where, where we get things so quickly and we're given so much that we think people just sort of owe us something. No, you don't see that in Ruth. Though the law said she could glean, she, the, the foreman said, well, actually, she came to me, and she said, is it okay if, if I glean here? And, and he says, she's been working all, all the time. She took a short break, and outside of that, she has been working hard. And so we've seen that Boaz has taken note uh, of Ruth. Let's look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law one of your servants. So here, in verse eight, Boaz speaks directly to Ruth, and he tells her, "You stay close to my young women." Now, during this time, usually at harvest time, the men would would go out and they would harvest. They would they would cut the grain with their right hand and they would gather it up with their left. And when they had uh, a lot of grain and they couldn't carry it any longer, they would lay it down. And then the women would usually come from behind them and bind it, bundle it, and bind it, and then and then take it. Uh, away. And so Boaz says to her, hey, you stay near my young women. You, you stay where they're at. And and he says, I've told the young men not to not to mess with you, not, not to uh, not to bug you or to harm you in any way. In fact, during this time, sometimes there was tension between the harvesters and those who would come behind them to glean because sometimes some of the folks who gleaned would sort of kind of begin to push the limits of what gleaning was and kind of get into more of what harvesting was. And so the harvesters might say to the gleaners, hey, you guys need to back up. We are gathering the grain right now. And so there could be tension there. And Boaz made it clear to Ruth, you're not going to have any problem here. The, the, the men aren't going to try to harm you anyway. They're not going to try to shoo you away or anything like that. You, you can count on that. And he says, in fact, when you get thirsty, just go and drink from, from our water jug. Now, this, this helped Ruth. Why? Because she didn't have to take the time to go and to draw water and, and to uh, uh, waste time that she could be gathering or gleaning. Now, now she can just get a drink and keep going. Notice that she says to him, why do you take note of me? Why do you take note of me? I'm a foreigner. All throughout this passage, we see the fact that Ruth saw herself as not belonging because she was from another country. And all along the way, we see Boaz welcoming her and being kind to her. She, bowed out, she bows down to the ground before him, which in this day and time was a way to, to uh, acknowledge respect and, and submission. So she understood her social standing. She was poor, and she was a foreigner. And Boaz was wealthy, and he was an Israelite. And, and so she shows him respect, and she shows him honor. And he says, listen, listen. I have heard about how you've treated Naomi. I've heard all about that. And I I heard about, and we see this in verse 11, how you left father and mother to be faithful to her. Now, where have you heard that language before? You've left father and mother. There's only one other place, Genesis 2.24. And you know what Genesis 2.24 says? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling fast to his wife. This is a hint from the author of what's ahead, She left father and mother, and now what's ahead? Well, marriage is ahead, and we're, we're, we're kind of skipping into chapters three and four, but, but the author's given us a glimpse of, of what God is doing here. Now, the characters don't know it. The, the characters don't see it, but as readers, we get to see what, what God is doing. It's incredible. And so he says to her, may the Lord repay you. You've done so much for Naomi. May God give you that back. May, may he bless you. And then he says, under whose wings you've found refuge. Now, typically being from Moab, Ruth would have, would have uh, worshipped Chemosh, the god Chemosh. But it's clear from, from Ruth 1 and Ruth 2 that she's a follower of God, the, the one true God. And Boaz says to her, May the God under whose wings you've taken refuge bless you and take care of you. So Ruth had run to God for, for her comfort. And here the scripture pictures God like a, like a mother bird spreading out her wings over her young to protect them. What, what a picture of God's tender care in our lives. Now notice from Ruth's perspective, you don't even realize what God's doing. And yet, he's doing great things. In verse 14, when it was time for a meal, he said to Ruth, hey, come and and eat with us. And and she had ate until she was full, and then she had leftovers that later she could take to to her mother-in-law. Now, when you're gathering aluminum cans, a good meal means a lot. When you're gathering aluminum cans to try to put food on the table, a good meal means a lot. And so again, this is, this is Boaz's kindness and goodness uh, for Ruth. And then he told, Boaz told his uh, workers, you leave some behind, okay? You, you leave some behind. Leave it for her and don't stop her. And so he was incredibly generous with, with Ruth. He was incredibly generous. So we've seen Boaz's kindness toward Ruth. Let's pick up in verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Oh, Naomi knows that name. Verse 20, And Naomi said to her daughters in law May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So she gathers up an ephah, which is somewhere around 25 quarts of grain. She gathers that up as a gleaner. That was an amazing amount of grain for her to gather up. Something like a half month's wages for for a normal worker. And when she walks in with all of this grain, her mother-in-law just starts spewing out questions. Where were you? What is this? And she knew that someone had had helped her along. She said, blessed is the man who, who took notice of you, who helped you. And then... Ruth, casually, she has no idea who Boaz is, says, yeah, I was in some guy's field named Boaz. And Naomi, oh, Boaz? And she just says, oh, may he be blessed by the Lord. Notice how Naomi's heart is changing. Look at what she says here, whose kindness, in verse 20, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now remember, she was struggling with bitterness, but suddenly she's beginning to see the God's who work for her good. He, he's not forsaking the living or the dead. He's taking care of us. That's, that's what Naomi is saying, and she says, Boaz is one of our redeemers. Now, a kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer in the Old Testament could, could buy back land that had been sold because of family difficulty and keep it in the family, would help family members in the midst of uh, uh, difficult financial situations, and a kinsman redeemer could could be a part of something called Leveret Marriage, which is where uh, a, f- uh, a member of the family would marry so that the family line could be carried on. And so we wonder what's going through Naomi's mind right now. I wonder if she's re- her mind is racing ahead thinking, wonder if this could happen, if Ruth, and it, it might, and our family line could continue. Now, we don't know for sure, but she seems very excited at this point. And she said he... Uh, Ruth tells Naomi, he told me to stay close by his young men. But notice what Naomi says to her. You stay close by his young women. It's as if Naomi wants to make sure Ruth isn't with the young men. She wants Ruth to have an opportunity to be around Boaz. And so she continued harvesting all the way through the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. In this chapter... We've seen all throughout the chapter that God tenderly cares for his children. God tenderly cares for his children. Yes, there are hard and dark days that we do not understand. But in the midst of those days, we can count on this. God is at work in our lives. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, first, God providentially cares for his people. Now, that's a word we don't use a lot, providentially. What a a strange word. But what it means is that God has a big plan And though we don't understand that big plan, he's at work in our lives to bring that plan about. And that plan is ultimately for his glory and for our good. So God is providentially caring for his people. So let's think of how God had shown Naomi and Ruth kindness up to this point. First, he stopped the famine, allowing Naomi and Ruth to return to Bethlehem. They returned not just any time, but they happened to return to Bethlehem when it was the barley harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. The Lord provided Ruth with a daughter-in-law who was committed to her, who, who became like a daughter. It wasn't by accident that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field, and it wasn't by accident that Boaz ended up there at the same time that Ruth was. You see, God's tender hand of providence is seen. Naomi had been through much Heartache, but God hadn't forgotten her. He was working for her good, even in the midst of the hard. And listen, if you belong to Him, He cares for you. He will not abandon you. He may allow you to endure some very hard days, some very dark days, but if you belong to Him, you can count on this. He's with you, and He's working behind the scenes. He's not going to abandon you. We don't understand all of His ways. Well, what we see in Ruth and Naomi's life is true in our lives as well if we belong to him. When I was in college, a friend of mine, we, we went on a on a double date with a, a couple of ladies. He had been dating the one lady for quite a while and and I just kind of, of met uh, uh, the lady that, that we were going to be going out with and what they did, these two ladies planned this elaborate date where all over town they put clues, they placed clues and at the very end, when we, We'd go to one place and get a clue and try to figure out where we were supposed to go next, and, and then we, we would figure it out, and it led to where they were, and they had prepared this elaborate Italian meal. It was pretty, pretty crazy. We, we didn't know where we were going to end up when we started that date. It should have been good, but it could have been bad. You never know. And along the way, they had been working behind the scenes to lead us to that. Now, if you belong to God, God is at work behind the scenes. He's arranging things for your good, for his glory. You don't see all of that, but he's at work. The Bible's clear. Naomi and Ruth, so much of this story had no idea what God was doing and how he was at work. And often, we don't either. So God is at work in in his children's life, caring for them in his providence. Second, God calls his people to generosity and kindness. Do you see how Boaz demonstrates true generosity, true kindness? This is the way we are supposed to live if we belong to the Lord. We're supposed to be people who are generous and people who are kind. Third, God calls his people to work hard and be industrious. Ruth is a model for us in this regard. She doesn't have a sense of entitlement, which is, which is something we struggle with today. All of us have a tendency, because we've been given so much and blessed with so much, to think, well, we deserve more. And people should just recognize that. Ruth doesn't have that. She's a model for us. We need to be folks, if we belong to the Lord, we need to be folks who work hard and, 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 who, and who are industrious. Fourth, God calls men to protect and to provide. God calls men to protect and to provide. Here we get a hint at biblical manhood. You see, Boaz is protecting and taking care of the vulnerable. Do do you see that? This is is what men are supposed to do. They're supposed to protect and to bless their families and to bless others. Now sometimes people will say, well, in the Bible a man is this hard ruler who, who is a is a mean patriarch who commands, do this, do that. Listen, that's not biblical manhood. That's a perversion of biblical manhood. Biblical manhood serves and blesses and helps his wife and his kids and the people that he comes into contact with. So Boaz gives us an example of what it means to to be a, a godly man. He's protecting, helping, blessing, serving others. Fifth, God calls believers to a love that overcomes racial and social barriers. Ruth was of another ethnicity. Ruth was poor. And yet, Boaz, being wealthy and an Israelite, shows her concern. It gives us a glimpse of how the people in the family of God are supposed to love. If you belong to Jesus, we're supposed to love everyone, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of what kind of money they have, regardless of all the different social barriers or things that... that that we come up with to divide us. The Bible is clear. Every person is made in the image of God, and and we ought to love and and respect each other in that regard. Have you ever been the odd man out? Maybe it was back when you were a kid, or, or even as an adult, in a situation where you just felt like these folks were together, and you just sort of didn't fit. You just couldn't seem to break in. And maybe eventually someone came and befriended you, and and, and made you feel welcome. Listen, that's how it's supposed to be in the family of God. No odd men out. We're supposed to love and care for each other and welcome one another. Sixth, God calls unbelievers to find life and refuge in Him. God calls unbelievers to find life and refuge in Him. You see, Ruth could have railed against the Lord and said, I'm going to follow my own God. I'm going to do my own thing. But instead... Ruth seeks refuge under the wings of God. There are some of you here today who do not know Jesus personally. You may know a lot about him. You may have done some religious things, but you've never run to him and sought him to be saved. You see, God loved you so much that he sent his very own son to this earth, and Jesus lived a perfect life. He was nailed to the cross. He took the punishment for all the the sinful things that you've done and that I've done. He took the punishment upon himself. And he was buried and he was raised to life. And it means that if you don't know God, you can know God. How? You call out to God and you say, God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus came to this earth, lived and died, and that he rose again. And I want to follow him. And the Bible says that if you call out to God like that, that he'll save you. That's how You seek refuge under his wings. That's how you seek refuge, under his wings. So how about you? Have you ever called out to him? Are you out there on your own? Or have you found the safety and the protection of the love of God? God wants you. God calls you to come to him. Won't you come if you don't know him? Won't you find refuge in him? This this morning I mentioned at the beginning baby Amelia who lived against all odds. Imagine holding that tiny baby girl. She, she made it. She lived. Well, some of you are in the fight of your life, truly, and you feel as if you're sinking. But if you belong to God, if you belong to him, you are not alone. He's at work behind the scenes. He cares for you. He's with you. You may not understand, you may not feel it, but it's a reality if you're his. He'll never, ever leave you alone. So God tenderly cares for his children. What if you really trusted him? What if you really believed that he was at work in your life, that that he was looking out for you, that he he was arranging things, ultimately you. For his glory and for your good. What, what if you really believe that? Think of how much fear we wouldn't have to live with. Think of how much joy we could have even in the midst of the really hard. Think of, of how much encouragement we could have even when the skies are completely dark. God, I don't understand. I do not see. But I believe. I believe you're at work. I'm going to believe what you say. What your word demonstrates. So when times are tough, don't run From him. Brothers and sisters, run to him. Run to him. And if you're here today and you've never, you've never run to him, you've never been saved, you've never. Landed under the wings of God where you can find true refuge and true hope and true protection. Today you could do that. In just a moment, we'll stand together. And when we do, I want to encourage you, if you want to know more about how to know Jesus, how to come underneath the refuge of his wings, you just walk down this aisle. I'll be here. Ralph will be here. We would love to visit with you more about how you could know Jesus about how you could find refuge in Him if you do not know Him today. There's no more important decision that you could ever make than to run to Him. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you about, I I urge you to, to obey. Maybe some of you, just in the quietness of your pew, need to say, God, give me new hope. In the midst of the darkness, God, help me to believe. Increase my faith, God. Encourage my heart. Join me in prayer.